are you doing this morning? Are you well? Everybody looks good? Most of you. No, you look good. The lightning didn't play last night, so you got a good night's sleep. How about this series, huh? Is that not amazing? Amazing. I know you're enjoying every minute of this. I know. If you're from Canada, it might not be quite as exciting for you. Those of you online, we're so glad to have you join us. And the great thing about this is when you go on vacation, you can still join us anywhere in the world now. So we welcome you online. We welcome you today. Happy Fourth of July. Fifty-six men signed the Declaration of Independence. Fifty-six. And what I find most fascinating about that, we have a picture of this. I find most fascinating is that these 56 men knew they were signing their death warrant. Why would you sign this? You were educated, you were wealthy, you had farms, you were lawyers, and yet you knew the moment you signed this document, it was called treason. Two of these guys were only 26 years old. The oldest man that signed the Declaration of Independence was none other than Benjamin Franklin. He was 70. 70 years old. He was the oldest one who signed this. And so we have these 56 men who wanted more. They wanted more than living under the tyranny. They wanted more than living under taxation without representation. They wanted to have an opportunity to live in a free land. Everybody wants more. And what I love about our series now on spiritual intelligence is that God promised us that he had more in store for us. And so when we talk about spiritual intelligence, I just want you to know it's not a new term. It may be a new term that we've kind of classified, but it's all throughout the Bible. It starts in the book really of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 36. And he says, I'm going to give you a new heart and put a new spirit inside of you. In Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 31 through 33, I will put my laws in your heart, and I will put my laws on your mind. This is really nothing new today. And then Jesus in John chapter 14 and John chapter 16, he said, it's for your good that I go away. If I go away, I'll send the counselor, I'll send the comforter. And so if you're brand new online or brand new this morning, we've been talking about spiritual intelligence. Now, we're all familiar with IQ, right? Most of you, anybody not familiar with IQ? There's a quotient. An IQ happens in a little portion of your brain called the hippocampus. And the hippocampus is directly in the center of your brain. And how that works, it's for memory and it's for recovery. And so if you're not doing real good with your memory or recovery, start praying for your your hippocampus to do a little bit better. That's IQ. And IQ doesn't really increase that much with age. You're kind of stuck with your IQ, what you have after about age four or five. We're familiar with EQ, people skills. People have great people skills. They have poor people skills. Where does that come from? Again, there's two little things inside of your brain. One's called the, uh, it's called the amygdala. And the amygdala in the center of your brain is the seat of your emotions and also the basal ganglia, and the basal ganglia, I'm not making this up, the basal ganglia in your brain actually is where you have emotional intelligence. You're able to relate to people. Both of those are pretty limited. 
What we've been talking about is spiritual intelligence. There is no limit to what God can do and what God can give unto you. And so last Sunday, we talked about increasing your capacity. How can we increase our spiritual capacity? So why would we do that? Well, we also in our series have talked about three different heavens. It's really not controversial. It's just not real clear. But the Bible describes three different heavens. The Bible describes in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so we all live today, all nine billion of us live in this first heaven. It's your five senses. It's what you see. It's what you smell. It's what you taste. It's what you touch. It's what you experience on planet earth. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I'm going to look at the beautiful beach. I'm going to see a sunrise. I'm going to observe a sunset. This is the first heaven and the first earth. The Bible also describes another spiritual realm that you don't want to be in and you don't want to participate in. And this spiritual realm is really the demonic realm. And the demonic realm, there's passages that leak out all throughout the New Testament, but one of the main ones is Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Our struggle's not against flesh and blood, but our struggle's against the principalities and the world forces and the powers of this air. And so there's a demonic that it has the ability to kind of come and go, come and go, and impact you here on this planet Earth. But the spiritual intelligence, this third heaven, is what the Apostle Paul described in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And the Apostle Paul said, I know a man in Christ, whether he was in the body or out of the body, I don't know, but he was caught up into the third heaven. And this is where we're, I want to spend some time this morning on the fact that it, it, it's, it's your perk. If, if you're not a Christian, you don't have this. You're over here and, and you have some of this. But if you are a Christian, you have spiritual intelligence that helps you solve problems. I, I don't know what to do. I don't know if I should go there. I don't know if I should move. I don't know if I should take this job. I don't know how to improve my marriage. I don't know how to parent. I don't know how to do something at work. This is where you have an ability to tap into something that God has given unto you. It's nothing new. It's what church has talked about all along about the power of the Holy Spirit. We've just not had a word for it. We've had IQ, we've had EQ, but what you really want in life is you want SQ. And so the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6, he says this. He says, and God raised us up with Christ And he seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Now, I want you to catch this. When you gave your life to Christ, God pulled you up. He put you in a new sphere. He put you in a new realm. And forever now, Christ lives inside of you. That was the goal all along. From day one. The goal was for Christ to then someday live inside of you and to have total rule and reign inside of your life, inside of your heart. And so Christ raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. Here's what I'm trying to teach us this series. Don't give up your seat. You have this seat. You have a seat in the heavenly realm. Why would you give up this seat? when you have the ability to solve problems from a third heaven perspective, 
When you have the ability to solve problems from a, a third world perspective, a third heaven perspective, why, why would we ever in this world give up our seat? And so this is a series called Spiritual Intelligence. So what is spiritual intelligence? It's really pretty simple. Spiritual intelligence is simply thinking like God. It's just thinking as if God, how God would think. Spiritual intelligence is you having greater capacity all of your life. Maybe you start off a small capacity, but your capacity grows and grows and grows, and you begin to think like God. Now, here's the challenge. How does God think? Because God doesn't think like any of the spheres of this world. If spiritual intelligence is the art of thinking like God, the most important question that we can raise is how in the world does God think? Well, God, God doesn't think like our world. Our world thinks from a position of fear. And God always thinks from a position of love. And you've noticed this. Our world has figured out how to harness fear. God doesn't ever think like a position of fear. God, God doesn't think like the political systems. God doesn't think like the business systems. God doesn't think like the religious systems. God doesn't think like anybody else. Now stay with me for just a minute. Well, stay with me for a lot of minutes, okay? <laughs> I, want you to, I want you to think about this. What our culture has learned to do is our culture has learned how to harness fear. We've gotten really good at harnessing fear. And culture has learned that if we can harness fear, we can control you. And so almost every institution that you and I could name or imagine has learned how to harness fear. The political system, not every politician, but the political system has learned how to harness fear. The medical system, not every medical system, but many medical systems, because of lawsuits, have learned to harness fear. The insurance industry, not every insurance person, but the insurance industry has learned how to harness fear. The religious system has learned how to harness fear. Let's, let's take politics. We love politics. Let's talk about politics. I'm an equal opportunity offender. Let me just get everybody all fired up as we begin 4th of July, all right? The midterms elections are coming, a little over a year, if you can imagine that. But let's go back, you know, a year or so ago, and let's think about every ad that was against Trump or every ad that was against Biden. Every ad was harnessing fear. If you vote for, pick one of them, Biden, then this is what's going to happen. If you vote for Trump, then this is what's going to happen. And the political system has learned how to harness fear. Stay with me. Don't walk out. Don't click off. Hang with me, all right? The media has learned how to harness fear. I'm coming to us. Hang with me. The media has totally learned how to, how to harness fear. Take out a pad and paper and watch the news for 30 minutes and see if there's any good stories that make you feel good. Any stories about how somebody did something good, helped somebody, loved somebody, cared for somebody, gave something sacrificial to somebody. There's not a single story in the news that will make you feel good. Why? 
Because fear works. We've learned how to harness fear. The business community. Listen to how people talk. I'm afraid. I'm worried. I'm concerned. It's just fear, 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 fear. Now, my world, the religious world, is absolutely no different. Many of you have come from churches or denominations or backgrounds where you never, ever walked out of church feeling good about your relationship with Jesus Christ. You never walked out of church going, I'm saved by the grace of God. God likes me. God loves me. Man, it's good to be in the house of the Lord today. You were in religious systems that just beat you up, beat you down, made you feel guilty. Because here's what they know. If they can do that, they can get more money. They can make you come back. They can have you be servants. They can do all these things in your life to harness fear, to somehow try to control you. God never operates from that. God always operates from a position of love. That's how God thinks. Now, I know Proverbs says, and I agree with it, the the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and I'm all for that. And if you don't fear God and you just have no, no connection with God, you need to be afraid. You need to be concerned. This ought to catch your attention. But your heavenly Father operates from a position of love. He's not trying to control you. He's not trying to manipulate you. He's not trying to drive you out of fear. He says to you, I am passionately in love with you. And so in Ephesians then, what Paul's trying to convince the the people of Ephesus of is how awesome God thinks about them. And so he says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 12, He says, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. In him and through faith in him, we may approach. Approaching God is spiritual intelligence. Approaching God is asking God for his heart, for his mind. Approaching God with freedom and with confidence, that's like too good to be true. And so when you, when you think about approaching God, I didn't realize that I've been doing this for 30 years. I just, when, we, we, when I was writing this series, and I got away for a couple days by myself, I, I didn't realize I've been doing this for 30 years. Should have been doing it for 40, but I've only been doing it for the last 30. But I, I realized that when people would come to me, even in my, my early 30s, and people would come to me and they would ask me, and they would say, I've got a problem. And they could only see door number one and door number two. I got an issue. I got a challenge. I got, a, I got something. I can either do this or I would do this. The whole time they're telling me their story, I'm asking God for door number three. What don't they see? What don't they hear? You've given us eyes to see and minds to perceive the great things that God has in store for us. And so I, I've been doing this for 30 years, thinking about there are always more opportunities. Spiritual intelligence is not what you can come up with. Now, this is great. This is your education. And if you're going to be um, an accountant, you need to understand numbers, and you need to get a degree, and you need to be a CPA or whatever. If you're going to be a plumber, for goodness sakes, you know, become a great plumber. If you're a doctor, I, I, I want you to go to school. I want you to be educated, right? I want you. But I want a doctor who's educated 
who's also over here going, is there door number three? Are you with me on this? And this is what spiritual intelligence is. As you go throughout every day of your life, you have the opportunity to approach God and say, I can see door one, I can see door two. Is there a door three? And I'm listening as I've talked to people the last 30 years, and God will give me insight, and I'll tell them this, and they think I'm a genius. I had nothing to do with it. God just told me what to tell them. It's awesome. You have more spiritual intelligence than you could ever dream, ever imagine, and it's unlimited. And so he says in verse 16, I pray that of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. And all this fear in our culture has made us weak. All this fear has really taken our core and just chipped away at it. And yet spiritual intelligence doesn't make you weaker. Spiritual intelligence makes you stronger. This is what you want. You want strength in your inner being. You want strength inside of you. You want the ability to be able to navigate through life with confidence. And so Paul's prayer is, I'm praying that they get spiritual intelligence. I'm praying the people of Ephesus will understand that God loves them so much, the glorious riches, he's going to strengthen them with power through his spirit. But this is like reverse engineering. And we start with power and we get confused. Well, where does the power come from? Well, this is why the Bible's so difficult. The Bible's hard to understand. The Bible's not always logical. It's not, not chronological. The Bible's not always linear. It's difficult. And so stay with me because that strength and that power, that's like the end of the road. Now let's go backwards. Let's go the other direction. And then he says in verse 17a, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Well, that's awesome. Christ is going to dwell in my heart through faith. So what does faith do? Faith then unlocks something. In the rest of verse 17, he says, and I pray that you will be rooted and established in love. There it is. There's the key. There's the answer. See, first of all, you have the love of God inside of you. Then you have faith that begins to unlock, and the faith then results in strength in your inner being. And so it always begins with the love of God, but it's your faith. God loves you deeply and God loves you dearly, but you have to exercise your faith. You have to unlock, unleash your faith. And as you unlock your faith, you get stronger and stronger and stronger. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you be rooted and established in love. What is it? The next verse says, may have power. How do you have the power? How do you walk through life courageously? How do you get up every day and not need anxiety medicine? How do you get up every day and not have angst? How do you get up every day and say, I'm free in Christ, I'm free indeed? All that is available for you to unlock and to unleash. You may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. And here's gonna give you the answer. Here's the answer. How do you have this? Well, it's to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ. And so here's what he's saying. If you really want to live a confident, strong life with spiritual intelligence, you want to have great faith that just gets unleashed throughout the world, 
in your life, you you got to make some decisions about God's love. You've got to come to figure out what this really did in your life. What did the cross do for your life? And so Paul's whole prayer is, he says, I'm praying that that Christ will dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, look at the next verse, may have power. He wants you to be strong, together with all the Lord's holy people. I want all the people of Ephesus. I want all the people of Safety Harbor. I want all the people of Michigan or Ireland or wherever you're watching from. He says, I want you to grasp something. Because if you grasp something, you will never be the same. You will never be weak. You will never operate out of fear. You will never try to manipulate somebody ever in your life again. If you can only grasp how high and how long and how wide and how deep is this love of God for you. That comes us back to the cross. So what did the cross do in your life? When you gave your life to Christ, what did the power of Jesus' blood do for you and over you? This is called spiritual intelligence. You see, once you really understand that you're not rejected anymore, you don't walk through life in a rejection, in a dejection kind of way. The power of the cross, I'm not rejected. I'm not, the the greatest person who ever lived, Jesus Christ, has accepted me, shed his blood for me, gave his life for me. I'm, I'm not rejected. You begin to understand what the cross did, that you, you really can't be insecure. You can't have insecurity when he gave you security. You can't walk around with insignificance when he made you significant. You you can't walk around in this life as if every day doesn't matter for him when every moment of his life mattered for you. And so Paul's saying, oh, oh my gosh, if they could just get this. If they could just understand the love of Christ. That was Paul's prayer. Because he knew if they got this, it would change everything. They would then walk around with an internal state of love and not being driven by an internal state of fear. So let me ask you this question. Are you driven by an internal state of fear or are you driven by an internal state of love? Do you wake up every morning afraid and fearful? Or do you wake up every morning going, I'm going to live with an internal state of love because I have been loved by the greatest person who ever lived. You see, that's what they would call spiritual intelligence. And so verse 19 then says, I want to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. And love that surpasses knowledge is is spiritual intelligence that's greater than just what happens in this first heaven, okay? All right, so I want to do something right now that I want to to repeat those verses in a different translation because you're looking at me like I just fell off the turnip truck, all right? 
So I want to read these verses now out of a different translation, because I want you to catch this. This was Paul's prayer. This was Paul's heartbeat, because Paul knew that if you got this, you would be set free. He knew that if you got this, you would be rooted and established in love. He knew that love would be the foundation of your life, not fear. Wouldn't it be great to operate for the rest of your life just out of love? Wouldn't that be more like God than to operate out of fear? And so here's what he says. I want to read these verses again. Just listen, verse 16. And I pray that he would unveil within you the unlimited riches of his glory and favor until supernatural strength floods. He wants you to be strong. He knows harnessing fear makes you weak. He wants to unleash within you that power that he set inside of you until supernatural strength floods your innermost being with his divine might and his explosive power. Then by constantly using your faith, it takes your faith. You've got to say, I come in faith to unlock this and unleash this. The life of Christ will be released deep inside you. And the resting place of his love will become the very source and root of your life. Then you will be empowered to discover what every holy one experiences. The great magnitude of the astonishing love of Christ in all its dimensions. How deeply intimate and far-reaching is his love. How enduring and inclusive it is. Endless love beyond measurement that transcends our understanding. This extravagant love pours into you until you are filled to overflowing with the fullness of God. Isn't that what you want? You want the power of Christ to live inside of you every moment of every day. Never doubt God's mighty power to work in you and accomplish all this. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request, your most unbelievable dream, and exceed your wildest expectations, imaginations. He will outdo them all, for his miraculous power constantly energizes you. That is incredible. That's what he has in store for you. So in 1781, General Cornwallis was surrounded at Yorktown, Virginia. And that pretty much cooked the Brits with the war. And here's, we have a picture where General Cornwallis is surrendering his sword to George Washington. Now, history says that Cornwallis actually didn't show up. They said he was such a wimp that he actually put one of his lieutenants to come. And so I don't know if that's true or not, but whether it was Cornwallis or one of his lieutenants, here is the surrender in 1781. Surrenders his sword. So two years later, In 1783, the Treaty of Paris is now signed. And so in Paris, France, now there's this treaty, and now the war is officially over, and uh, we are now 13 colonies. We are now pretty much independent. And so everybody at the Annapolis, Maryland, at the State House, 
December 23rd, 1783, were holding their breath. So here you've got the representatives from the 13 colonies. It's two days before Christmas. And George Washington now comes riding in, and the, col- the leaders of the 13 colonies are really concerned, what will he do? Because just about every other general has seized power, has seized control, has become a dictator. The closest example in our lifetime would be Fidel Castro, not just about 90 miles from Key West. Napoleon Bonaparte did the same. Oliver Cromwell, another example. And so what would George Washington do? Would George Washington storm into the state capitol building in Annapolis, Maryland, December 23rd, 1783, and would he then seize power or would he relinquish his commission? Here's the picture where he comes in, he lays down his sword, and he, he gives a piece of paper to the head of the state capitol, and he said, it's been an honor, but I am retiring from public office. He said, God bless. And he knelt, and he put his sword down at the state capitol, and, and the, one of the greatest generals of all time, with absolute humility, is kneeling before these representatives of the 13 colonies. They just breathe a sigh of relief. Thank God George was humble. Thank God George relinquished his commission, his command. I think it's kind of funny. Six years later, we did elect him to be president, but he was ready to retire from public office. The way to live in this love of God is always through humility. This is why in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, Paul says, so I humbly kneel in all before the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. There's always humility. If you want more and more and more spiritual intelligence, there's less and less and less pride. There's less pride. And by the way, pride's just a cover-up for fear. Right? Prideful people are really afraid. Prideful people think they're going to be exposed. Prideful people are just worried. Pride's just another cover-up, really, for fear. And so the Apostle Paul is saying to all of us in this room, if we will humble ourselves and kneel before him and honor him, he will strengthen you with power. And you will have a faith that just gets unlocked and unleashed. And every moment of every day, you can live in an internal state of love. Now, that doesn't mean that things will go well for you. That doesn't mean that everything falls into place for you. That doesn't mean that people aren't going to say offensive things to you. It does mean that you can just not be offended. It it does mean that you can live with an internal state of peace. So spiritual intelligence is you leaning on Him, asking for clarity, asking for direction, as you unleash your faith, he unlocks strength and power inside of you. Now, we're going to sing one more song this morning. And this song is about creation. And uh, this song was our former chairman's favorite song. Our former chairman passed away, but this was his absolute go-to favorite song because all of creation bows. 
and all of creation kneels. And if all of creation bows and if all of creation kneels, the song says, so will I. So let's worship together. Let's sing and kneel and humble ourselves before a mighty God. and He will fill you with that power and that love of Christ. Let's sing together.
before you this morning. Lord, we thank you that we are the target of your love. Every person in here today, every person watching, every person on this earth, all eight billion of us, Lord, we are the targets of your love. Lord, I pray that every person here would feel your pursuit, but that you love them dearly. There's no need to live in fear or walk in confusion or anxiety, Lord, but for us to begin to position ourselves and receive your love. And that's what we do right now. Lord, we thank you for your love, and I pray it pours upon every person. Lord, may it enter into their heart, into their mind, to their soul, to their being. And Lord, we receive the greatest gift you've given us which is your love. So God, we receive that and we harness that. We walk out as instruments of your love today. We love you. We worship you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all. Happy Fourth of July.